can open with me to the book of Leviticus, chapter 23. Leviticus, chapter 23. I was going to read verses 9 and 10, but we'll go all the way down to verse 14, beginning in verse 9 of that chapter. Leviticus 23, starting in verse 9, we'll read down to verse 14. It says there, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you, and reap its harvest... Then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf, a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma. And its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hin. You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. And that's where we'll pause and bow our heads together once again. Ask the Lord to bless our study tonight. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, with praise and thanksgiving this evening, Lord knowing that you're worthy of anything that we might bring. Father, we know that you don't, well, you rarely call for everything from us, Father, but as always, we should be willing to offer you anything. You are worthy of it, Father. You are deserving. And we thank you, Lord, that whatever we give to you will be returned to us. Something much greater, much better, much deeper, much stronger, certainly much more eternal. I thank you, Father, that any investment that we place into your hand will return back to us multiple, multiple times over. Help us to know that from the outset, Father. Teach it to us and make it more real to us day by day. Bless this word to us tonight, I ask. Be glorified in it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we go on to another book study, we have a little bit of a mini topical study here beginning tonight. Certainly it's called The First Fruits, but we're going to We're going to paint in some broad strokes tonight, look at things rather broadly. I'm going to be watching the clock. I know I promised that before, but tonight I'm actually going to do it. I've lied to you up to this point, so tonight I'm going to tell you the truth, and I'm going to watch the clock. And uh, if we have to cut it short, I think that's going to be okay, because we're just looking broadly, and it's just an introduction of sorts to this concept of the first fruits before we get into the meat or the fruit of it over the course of the next however many weeks this will be. I don't anticipate it to be exceptionally long, but there are some things here, certainly, that are worth getting into, that are pertinent to us as we look back in the Old Testament and some of the things that, well, we spent ten weeks considering Galatians, the Galatians, and how they were so embracing the things of the law. Now we're going to look at some things that were offered under the law. And while we're not going to embrace them for our practices, we're going to see how they apply to us today and how we... We'll take those things and the lessons there and apply them to our New Testament walk today. That being said, uh, considering these first fruits here, um, I just want to say from the outset, you know, sometimes I just set a theme out there in case I should get struck by lightning while I'm standing up here so that you might not forget it. Um, If you want to just go with a theme for tonight, say God has always been worthy of being served before and over anybody else. And God has always deserved to receive our very best. So if you want to look at first fruits that way, it has a time element, a time component, meaning step in line first. Me first. You know how it was when you were a kid and the teacher decided that you were the good kid for the week and you were going to be the line leader. 
I didn't lead the line very often when I was in school. I wasn't the one that got to go first always. I was typically back near the rear with the teacher oftentimes. But there was that one who got to lead and step up and go first, first to the lunchroom, first to PE class, first to recess. There's a time element that's involved in the first fruits, the ones that came first or the ones that were offered first. And there's also a quality element to first fruits, meaning... Well, to a certain measure, particularly as they apply to us, the weight and the quality of those fruits being the best. God has always been worthy of serving first, serving before all else and all others, and God has always deserved to receive the first and foremost, the preeminent of anything that we might offer, just so we have that straight. Uh, let's look at a couple of these things and where it's presented to us, where it's introduced, this concept of first fruits, especially as we look at them under the law. Turn to Exodus chapter 23 and verse 14, the first presentation of, of these first fruits. And you know it's going to be part of the offerings that were made and those sacrifices that were made under the law and, and presented by Moses. First presentation we see is there on Mount Sinai when the Lord was giving the law to Moses. Uh, God identifies there in Exodus chapter 23 that there were three feasts that all males were called to present and make offering to, make sacrificing to the Lord in. And I'll read those there in Exodus chapter 23 and verse 14, where it says, Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib, the first month of that religious calendar of Israel, for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty. And that coincides along with that time of Passover. Uh, and the feast of harvest, he goes on to say, the first fruits of your labors which you have sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. So you see there, it talks about this feast of harvest, where the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field, they would be presented. Uh, it's the same feast that we see referred to in Exodus 34 and verse 22. You don't have to turn there if you don't like, but if you want to jot it in your note as a reference there. You shall observe the feast of weeks. Same, same feast. Feast of harvest, feast of wheat, weeks, not wheats. Feast of weeks, W-E-E-K-S. A series of seven weeks, as a matter of fact. Uh, it correlates with the Greek word Pentecost, if you're familiar with that. Uh, you shall observe the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Harvest, of the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the Feast of Ingathering at the year's end. The Feast of Harvest, the Feast of Weeks, whatever you'd like to call it, if you want to call it in the Greek, you can do that as well. It celebrates the reaping of the year's well, crops, sowing, the bringing in of those things. It's a celebratory time. It's a time of you hope abundance. You understand that Israel, whether it was, well, certainly once they entered into Canaan, for the most part, outside of those ones on the eastern side, I imagine there were livestock scattered throughout all of the western portion, the main portion of Israel proper. The majority of those ones on the eastern side, Dan not Dan, Gad, Reuben, and half-tribe of Manasseh. They were livestock pushers. They were ranchers, essentially, and they wanted to be on the, that side. But regardless, all of them needed this agrarian stuff. They were all agriculturally minded. They grew things, wheat, and what we're going to talk about, oil and grapes and the like, that sort of thing. They were agrarian. And so when it came time to reap those things in, that was a visual representation 
when they saw the abundance of the crops, when they saw that it was growing tall, when they saw that things were growing full, that they were growing lush, that it was looking right and looking good, they could see the progress of those things. And then finally, when the time came to bring those things in, it was celebratory, man. It was, it was exciting. It was a good thing. At the end of the year, if you get a bonus, or certain holidays, if you get a bonus, you're looking forward to that. You're looking forward to a raise, a merit raise, or something along those lines. And you know you're working towards something, and all of a sudden, there it is. Man, you celebrate. You go eat something or something along those lines. In this society that they had, and other ones like them. And when it came time to reap, and they could actually see the product of what all that work had, had, and labor had put into it, obviously it made for a good celebrating thing. And any time you celebrate, man, we like birthdays. We celebrate anniversaries and happy instances. When you celebrate, and well, it, it helps to celebrate the, the maker of the feast, right? The master of all things. You, you celebrate the Lord, and certainly when in his hand is all of this growth and all of this fruitfulness and abundance. They needed to celebrate the Lord. Uh, so that's what they were celebrating here. In Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse 9, it speaks of this feast. Deuteronomy 16, before they entered into the new land that they were led to. In Deuteronomy 16, Moses speaks to this feast that they were to partake in. He says, you shall count seven weeks for yourself. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time you put the sickle to the grain. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a free will offering. That's not what I'm looking for. Of a free will offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. Again, people celebrate what they've been given. People celebrate what they what they take in oftentimes. And you need to recognize and understand that, well, who blessed him? Who blessed them? Which you, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. You remember these occasions and, and you identify the Lord's hand in it. Now, again, we celebrate birthdays and anniversaries. We also celebrate memorials and remembrances and those sorts of things that aren't so happy. Um, the feast here, well, it was not a somber occasion. When, when they gathered together, they were intended to not just sit around and, oh, look what we did. All right, let's just... Oh, we've got quite a season coming up ahead of us, too. Well, let's just sit down here. and No, no, the Lord understood. He said, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. You and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite who is within your gates, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are among you at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. They weren't called to sit and, and ponder somberly on days gone by and that sort of thing and, and get... No, they were to rejoice. They were to celebrate that this was what, well, what they were going to be blessed in, and they needed to identify that. It was to be a joyful time of remembering. It was supposed to be something where they took account and recognized where they'd come from. Oppression, labor, and those things. And then this joyful abundance that they were moving into. You know, oftentimes we, we sometimes don't let go of the past, do we? I mean, we think about all the struggles and that sort of thing, and sometimes we can rue those struggles and think, man, why did I have to work so hard to get to this certain position that I'm in now when other people don't? <laughs> you celebrate, celebrate where you are. Remember where you were, perhaps. 
and always recognize and understand what the Lord has done for you up to this point. Have you failed in not receiving everything that he has for you? That's between you and the Lord, certainly. But recognize what he has brought you through. Certainly, if we've passed from death unto life, we have no reason to be somber about where we were before Jesus. So it's just something to consider there. Rejoice, rejoice in this time of remembering. Um, It was a poignant occasion for them to recognize the joy and the significance of what the Lord had done. And so those first fruits were presented to them to make sure that they had their minds right, to make sure that they had their intentions and their motivations right, and to help them rejoice in the appropriate manner. Back in our passage in uh, Leviticus chapter 23, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Remind them, tell them, make sure you have this established with them and say to them, when you come up into this land, which I give to you, make no mistake, remember this. When you come up into this land, which I give to you and reap its harvest. That means he's given it to them. There's going to be place for them to sow. They are going to harvest. They are going to reap. He's making some promises here. Then you shall bring a sheaf in the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. He made some promises and told them, remember, remember to do this. And regarding the timing of that, it says, You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. It was offered before they partook of it. The first fruits, it's a time element. Before we partake of this abundance. I mean, it just stands to reason, right? I've been to a lot of birthday parties, and I don't remember a single one where they brought out the birthday cake, and I dug into it before it was, you know, when it wasn't my birthday. (laughs) I dug into it first before the person came and said, surprise. Wouldn't that be something if you came to a surprise party and you walked in, and you're like, who are all you people? And they're like, Surprise! You know, and they're eating your cake and that kind of stuff. It doesn't make any sense because you're the one that they're honoring, right? It, it's a, you're supposed to be the reason why they're, they're all there. And they're partaking of it. Uh, they offered before they partook because they were honoring the Lord. Uh, in Exodus twenty two twenty nine, he says, You shall not delay to offer the first of your ripe produce and your juices. Getting pretty specific there. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. It prompted them to be intentional and recognize. Where did this come from? Who's deserving of this? And let me keep my mind right and remember and recall. This comes from the hand of the Lord. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. I'm not going to quote that exactly right. But well, doesn't it stand to reason that I should recognize him in it? Of course. It was intended to celebrate and to remind the people of what he had promised to do for them, of what he had done for them already. And as they looked at those things and were mindful of that and remember, and recalled and understood what he had intended to do for them in the time to come, man, here you go, Lord. Do with it as you choose. And it makes sense that he be remembered first and foremost and we be blessed in it and offer up to him first and foremost, and our very best to him in all kinds of different arenas. That's what he was reminding them there. A joyful memorial with a joyful assurance of what was to come. Now, people do get in trouble with this, particularly in this day and age. Now, people in in authority positions, 
places of authority, spiritually speaking, I guess you could say, or religiously speaking, if they're not spiritual at all even, uh, they have taken this sort of thing, and you know what they've done. They've completely distorted it, deceived people in it and that sort of thing. And they've made it rather icky in my mind. Deuteronomy chapter 18. What first fruits represent for us today have been turned into something that's just been well made unpleasant. And unfortunately, it has a really nasty light shined on it. Uh, understand, giving and tithing, if you want to call it that. Tithing meaning giving a tenth. That was something that was presented under the law as well, something presented back in the Old Testament. It's not something that's laid out as a delineated, this is what you must do in this age, but you understand what it is. And yeah, it's practical. It's something that that has benefit, certainly. It keeps the lights on in this place, keeps the fans spinning, keeps things comfortable, certainly. It maintains this physical place that we're able to gather here four times a week. Uh, It supplies the natural provision for myself and other people who minister the word. The Lord gives liberty for that sort of thing. Deuteronomy chapter 18, it was much like that. The priests, the Levites, it says in Deuteronomy 18, all the tribe of Levi shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. We had a rather lengthy study on this. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his portion. Therefore, they shall have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance, as he said to them. And they partook of a number of the different sacrifices that were presented. And the first fruits were among those things that were given as the natural provision for the priests and the Levites and the ones that served in the tabernacle and the temple throughout the years. Uh, It just simply was what it was. Designates what was for them. Designated measure for them. It designated they were to receive grain of the wine, of the oil, of the skins, of the fleece. You can see in verse 4 there. But those things have been misappropriated from early, early on. You can read about Samuel's sons. Uh, They were, well, they worked in the temple. And they were not, not good men, not godly men. They certainly suffered for it. But... You can see all through the ages and certainly in our own age how different people have taught that so-called prosperity message where if you give more and more of your natural provision now, God's going to give you natural provision in abundance in the days to come. Man, I can feel it right now and I don't even want to imitate them because it's so foolish and it's so so ungodly and it, it rather sickens my stomach. I've seen it way, way too much. And you can just see that it's the same old, it's the same old bag. Just people, uh, men of men of some stature and some renown, and they say, if you'll just give me what you have, God will give you what you don't have, and He'll give it to you in abundance. And what's the problem there? Why is that such a problem? Other than just that it's just false and it's wrong and it's misleading and it's unscriptural? Well, because God's focus has never been on natural things, right? When has God ever... Dan just prayed literally 15 minutes ago. Well, maybe 20 minutes ago. I'm watching the clock, I promise. Dan just prayed just shortly, not too long ago, when he said, Lord, you give us everything that we need. Not always do you give more, but then he went ahead and even said, you know what, oftentimes you do give us a lot more than we need. I mean, we have a lot more... We have much of what we even want. It's never been God's way to say... Give me your natural and I will just bless you with all kinds of riches and wealth and all of those sorts of things. Man, John the Baptizer must not have been a very spiritual man. Because that dude wore hair, fur, probably smelled bad, ate locusts and honey, and that's what he did and wandered out in the wilderness. And I don't think he had some 
Well, some hidden treasure tucked away someplace. No, he was all for the Lord, and that was that. I'm way off of my notes now, but I'll just say this. It's been this way for some time, that people have completely flipped and distorted the things of God and made the provision, the provision, the natural provision that he gives to us and the offerings that come as a result, something wrong, something ungodly. It's never been God's focus to focus on the natural things, and neither should it be ours either. So yes, be willing to offer him well, first access to your money, to your time. And when I say him, I mean him, not me, not someone on the TV. You don't offer them access to your money. Go to the Lord and find out what he wants for you. Find out what he wants for you from, from you in regards to your time and your decision making. The natural things that we do have. Um, that's what he wants. That's what he wants to do for you. Uh, offer him your first fruits of your natural things and he'll bless you spiritually if not naturally. Now, that being said, I'm just going to take just a couple of minutes, a couple of minutes, and I'm not going to cover all of my notes, and so that's okay, to look at a couple of representations of these first fruits in the New Testament here, of what we see it presented as. Not just, I mean, tons of stuff in the Old Testament. We'll be talking more about that in the weeks to come, as I mentioned a moment ago, of what the first fruits are, how they're presented, where they're presented, exactly how they're packaged up and and received from the priests and Levites, so on and so forth. But we also see illustrations in the New Testament of first fruits, of it representing different things. Um, Let's look at, uh, well, James chapter 1. Let's turn to James chapter 1, verse 18. Certainly we should give of our give of our natural abundance. But as James puts it here in James 1.18, when it talks about us being the first fruits, it's of giving of ourselves that's more important to the Lord. Not our stuff, of us. James 1.18, let me see if I can get there. Did I have it? I don't have it there. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be kind of a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That's what James says. Of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits. In the Greek, that word means literally, I believe, something along the lines of beginning sacrifice or the beginning of sacrifice or a sacrifice's outset, onset, beginning. We're the beginning sacrifice of his creatures, we who are created in his own image. We who are already given a place of dominion over the animals. If you just think about creation, we certainly are. Not to just pat ourselves on the back because, well, we understand we're in a blessed position. But of all creation, we stand up higher. There is a certain measure of us being the first fruits, the foremost of those things. But there are greater glories, we understand, as we consider our walk of faith. There are greater glories. There is a resurrection to come. And from that resurrection is an out-resurrection to come. A first fruits of sorts. From the first fruits of all creation, you could say. We could, well, we could go on farther with this. If you look at Romans chapter 12. If the believer is the first fruits of the resurrection, the fully victorious are the first first fruits of that resurrection, then we should pursue well, being part of that, right? Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. If we are first fruits, we should identify that sacrifice that we are and confirm it. Continue in it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. 
Offer yourself first. Offer yourself early. Offer the best and most of yourself, the greatest amount of yourself, anything of yourself that the Lord calls for us. Coming to him as to a living stone, 1 Peter 2 and verse 4. All of these rather familiar, I'm sure. Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are first fruits, first fruits of, well, of his creation. And we need to offer ourselves so, first and foremost, early and often, consistently, offering our best as we transform further into the image of his son. We read about the first fruits of the spirit, which is the means by which, well, by which we do satisfy this need for sacrifice to him. It helps us, well, helps us to carry out this sacrifice in Romans 8.23. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the spirit, it says. Even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. The Holy Spirit was manifested heavily and abundantly and upon all who will receive Him. The church was born there in Acts chapter 2. During that time of Pentecost, again, affiliated with that feast of weeks there, the Spirit was given, but even in its fullness, it's still just the first fruits of it. It's just the beginnings of it. We know that all the gifts are available to us that the Spirit can manifest in and through us, but even in those abundant things, presented abundantly and manifested abundantly in our meeting even, still not going to be the full measure that it will be when we're in glory. Certainly, it's just the first fruits of it, just the beginning of the offerings, but it helps us, helps us to live that sacrificial life that He calls for from us, that He's certainly deserving of. Where else do we see the first fruits represented in the New Testament? Well, we see it in the high priest ourselves, this one to whom we sacrifice, certainly, or who sacrifices us, you might say, to his father. And that would be in Jesus. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He is our high priest, certainly, but he himself is presented as the first fruits of sorts. A couple of different groups. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20. Now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. He was the first fruits, the initial one to leave the grave, to conquer the grave and go up and open up that way into heaven. He was that first one, certainly was the foremost one, but he opened up that way. All those ones who were the righteous dead waiting and waiting and waiting. We don't have time to get into all of that and what it all entails. But waiting for that deliverance, for captivity to be led captive, be taken up, with Jesus leading on, first and foremost. Uh, it says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, in verse 22. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Saints, the Lord Jesus was the first one, the pioneer, you might say of leaving death and leaving death behind and shutting down what once was the grave, Sheol, that sort of thing, when he opened that up. For time's sake, I'm moving forward. But I'll just leave you with a couple of passages with Psalm 89:48. What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his life from the power of the grave? That's Psalm 89:48. Then the answer is in Psalm 68:20. Our God is the God of salvation. 
And to God the Lord belongs escapes. And to God the Lord belong escapes or issues or outgoings, goings out from death. Jesus was the one. The first fruits of that. He was the one who opened up the door. He was the one who led them out. There are a number of other pictures. A number of other pictures in the New Testament where first fruits are presented as illustrations. But you understand that, well, we pattern ourselves after the Lord. We're the first, well, the first fruits of creation. We pattern ourselves as we partake of the first fruits of the Spirit, try to make ourselves and live that life of living sacrifices. He calls us to as we pattern ourselves after the firstborn, or not the firstborn, but the first fruits of all the resurrection, all the resurrected ones, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Colossians speaks of him being the firstborn over all creation in Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn, or you might even say the first fruits from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. First fruits speak to time. Bring them first and foremost before we partake of things for ourselves. And it speaks of the quality of things, the weight of things, the magnitude, the value of things. And Jesus did all of those things. He is the first and foremost. Um, he deserves our first fruits. Again, a number of other pictures there. I'm not going to take the time to go to them tonight. Look for them for yourself, but there are several other subjects where first fruits represent these different individuals. Sometimes people are identified as a first fruit of sorts. Sometimes families are presented. Israel is presented uh, as the first fruits, both, well, both, uh, well, before and in this age and in the age. Yet to come, certainly we'll see that in Revelation. Um, but just suffice it to say this as we consider these first fruits, these things that well, Israel was given as they were moving into this new land, this land of promise. I'm going to offer you all of this. I'm going to give you all of this. I've made you all these promises, the Lord said. Just remember me. Remember me. And you don't see him begging because the Lord's not petty and the Lord isn't just, just needing your pat on the back. That's not who he is. And you, do, you don't see him demanding it and just crushing down on them. Do this or I will just... No, it, it was just a simple reminder because their blessing was in his mind. Remember me. Remember what you are, have come from and what you're going into as you move in. Keep your mind right. Be intentional about things and recognize... Where this comes from, because this will establish you and shape you as my child and will let you be more understanding and, and well, more like me, more like me, which is a blessed, it's a blessed thing. I, God's the only one who could say, I really want you to be more like me and not have to make any caveats in there and not be an arrogant thing. It only be a perfect thing. He wants us to be like him. So as we consider this subject here. In these coming weeks, we're going to look at some of these specific elements that we read specifically in Leviticus 23. Three in particular, maybe a couple of more, the grain, the vine, or, or the wine, and the oil. And we're going to look at those things and see different facets of those and how they apply to us. But remember, saints, 
as we push through this study, to make it your purpose to serve Him before all else, to serve Him before all others, to put His purposes, to put His praise, to put His glory before all other things and offering yourself as a living sacrifice to Him first and foremost, offering anything and everything to Him. He won't take too much. He never does. He never asks for too much. He asks exactly what's right and what's good, and He turns it into something that's even righter and gooder, even better still. Make it your purpose to serve Him before all else, and make it your purpose to serve Him and offer Him your very best. And you'll find that He will give you His very best, and He will serve you, well, before all else. He always has our service in his mind. He ministers to us even now. Even now he cares for us. Let's consider. Let's consider as we're living sacrifices to him of giving him our first fruits of all all things. He deserves it and he has the right.